Thanks to Indeed for sponsoring the Apple Bits XL. Indeed knows hiring needs to be cost-effective when you're running your own business. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. All right, everybody, let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 265. If you're new here, this is the show where we talk about all the biggest, the latest, the greatest Apple news and how it ties into the greater world of tech as a whole. So thank you for joining us. If you've been here from the beginning, if you've been here for a while, thank you so much for coming back. And this week, we're going to talk about, obviously, things continue to ramp up for WWDC. Apple also announced their earnings, and I think there's a lot of really good nuggets in there. Plus, Tim Cook made some comments about other things because there's always follow-up questions. And yes, guess what? We finally are putting voicemails in the show. I got a nice crop of five of you who called, wanted to kind of collect a good media amount, and so we are going to put those in the show. So speaking of calls, hey, let's get to some orders of business real quick. This show is just better when you call in. So all you got to do is record a voice memo, send it into applebitsshow at gmail.com, record it on your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever platform you're in, send it to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z, your name, where you're from, your questions, comments, criticisms, dating advice. I'll do it all. Food spot advice. I'll do that as well. So Call in. It's always fun to hear from you, and we do have calls this week. Also, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you support my content. It's how you support this podcast. It starts at $2 per month, goes up to $5, which is like a cup of coffee, if that's the value I bring to you. $10, $25, and the $100 Platinum Apple level, you get early access to content, rewards at different levels, a completely ad-free version of the show. Also, we're doing our monthly Closure Rings Challenge. It just started. There's still plenty of time to get in there because we just basically get a score, which is if you close your rings once, five days out of seven days of the week, then you get thrown into this lottery and three of you will win. It's actually really easy to do because many of you even go over a lot of those rings more than once. So it's really not too late. We just started May 5th and the giveaway, I'm going to bump a little bit because some people were come. Someone said, hey, Can you do something a little more? So I'm bumping up the reward. Three of you will get a $50 Amazon gift card for the three that get selected by qualifying and participating in the Closure Rings Challenge, specifically exclusive to my Patreon. And so sign up, patreon.com slash Tong. We also do a monthly Zoom. And we I also gave away uh, or doing the giveaway for the Steve Jobs book. So lots of activity and really a great community that's there to support me. And also, it's up to me to give back to you also. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you do it. Okay, let's jump into this. And we're going to start, obviously, with the rumblings. I don't know about you all, but if there's a product, a real physical product that actually makes sense for most of you, Of all the buzz that's going on, yes, you're going to have all the software and the operating systems, but to me, the 15-inch MacBook Air would be the most practical product that would actually change or improve how you do things today. Now, last week or earlier in the week, Mark Gurman said, hey, it's coming, 
And now all signs are definitely pointing to not only what he's saying, but in the supply chain, reports have said, according to Digitimes, that Apple supply chain has started stockpiling the rumored 15-inch MacBook Air, and this laptop is definitely ready to roll. And yes, the reality is that the PC market, PC sales have continued to decline. We'll talk about that in Apple's latest earnings report. So even with Apple rolling out this 15-inch MacBook Air, it's not like it's going to completely revolutionize and push their earnings and sales units you know, to extravagant heights to break quarterly over quarterly records. That's just not going to happen. But I think it is definitely an important piece of the puzzle and also gives and brings a little more momentum every time Apple's delivering new products. And let's also be real, Apple is not losing any money from the greater whole with all these different buckets of revenue that they have, iPhone obviously being a huge part of that. So 15-inch MacBook Air supplies are being stockpiled ahead of the rumored WWDC launch. I'll say it again. I said it last week, so I won't do it for three weeks in a row. Right, design will be relatively the same. The biggest design change, the 15-inch display. It will be a standard display. We're not getting any type of a promotion display. It'll have a 1080p FaceTime camera, MagSafe 3 charging port, two Thunderbolt 3 ports, a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, the scissor switch keyboard, touch ID button, and force touch trackpad. All the fundamentals that made the 13-inch MacBook Air the laptop to get for last year. And I still think it's the best value. It's the best bang for your buck. It's the arguably one of the top student computers as well if you're getting into content creation. Yes, it is a little more expensive, but I think with the processor in there, the M2 chipset, the battery life, how quiet it runs, it is, I mean, it's a top tier machine, the 13-inch MacBook Air. I, I feel like that's where a lot of people just start when they look at a machine. Also, WWDC related, we know that iOS 17 is always a big focus, a big center of attention. Now, the reports have been that watchOS 10 is really what's going to be the most revolutionary when you're talking about, how about not say revolutionary, uh, the biggest revamp that's going to be happening to an actual Apple hardware product where iOS 17, yes, is more polish. It's not just going to be bug fixes, but a few iterations. So there's we've kind of like collected what we're expecting to see from iOS 17. And there's about eight features now that have solidified of what we think is going to happen. Let's start off with, obviously, we've talked about it a few times, Control Center, that's where you swipe down on the top right. You get things like your volume slider, your screen brightness slider, screen recording, focus mode, uh, air, you know, dropping over airplay, all that stuff, right? That Control Center, that is expected to get completely revamped. Um, and... We, this is, we had heard that this might have would happen last year, but that wasn't the case. So the control center, reportedly more customizable. The flashlight's brightness slider might be uh, like more freely slidable and adjustable. Currently, it's like goes bumps between four notches. Subtle things. We still don't know a lot, but control center is expected to be revamped. Also, the wallet app, really interestingly enough, with all these new features, Apple's you know, been putting out with their different financing plans. Apple's now giving you the ability to put your Apple cash directly into a Apple savings account that I think it's earning a little over four, has a 4% uh, interest on it. So the new wallet app will now have its own navigation bar on the bottom 
for some of these different things, which is kind of interesting, and even some tabs at the top to distinguish different features. Right now, your Apple Wallet is pretty much just your cards, and then when you click on your cards, at least specifically the Apple cards, you're gonna get a lot more detailed information, but generally just your cards are there stacked, your credit cards, your debit cards, um, even something like your AMC membership card or your Marvel Unlimited card. I'm speaking for myself. But the wallet app hasn't changed. We're expecting some level of a wallet app revamp as well. We're also hoping to see the next generation of CarPlay. Now, remember last year, I think one of the hottest things that they revealed, of course, it was something that wasn't coming uh, anytime soon, but was their first demo of CarPlay and how they have committed and agreed to be working with automakers like Acura, Audi, Ford, Honda, Jaguar, Land Rover, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Porsche, Volvo, and others where all the digital displays that are accessible for these new, I guess we'll call them next-gen cars, but these newer, more modern designs would be able to show different instruments and tools, even things like widgets of different information, all CarPlay-related stuff, but just laid out a lot more elegantly, color-wise, layout-wise, you know, weather, speed, text messages, all this stuff, just a lot cleaner. And, you know, it even kind of gave us the warm fuzzy and said, oh, dude, that should be the Apple car, Apple car car design of the future. And that would obviously be the cleanest integration. But we're hopefully expecting to see some new stuff here with multiple display support, new widgets integration uh, with vehicle functions like their actual instrument cluster, something, you know, I'm a I'm a Nissan 370Z guy. It's not practical for me to get a new Z. I'm not going to, but damn, I love how the new Z looks. And I could just only imagine how clean it would look with this new CarPlay taking advantage of all those displays. Uh, we've, we've seen Mercedes-Benz has that huge display on the, uh, on the EQS uh, lineup. So there's a lot of potential of how CarPlay can be more integrated into your system. Another report is that Apple's developing a journaling app for the iPhone that will compete with uh, apps similar to day one. It's not clear whether the app will be released, but it could be introduced alongside iOS 17 if it's ready. So note-taking, you know, documenting things that have happened during your day, Apple getting into that. Also, if you're in the EU, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reported I think sometime around last year that Apple was working and preparing to allow app sideloading onto the iPhone, and that was specifically to comply with the European Union's Digital Markets Act. So that would allow users to install apps outside of Apple's App Store, but the change is only expected to be made in the European Union countries, not in the U.S. This is at least initially. So if you're getting excited, like, oh, finally sideloading. I mean, there's a community of people that want full control, similar to what Android allows you to do. Uh, It's not happening in the U.S., but at least European Union countries. Well, I mean, think about this. The European Union got Apple to finally implement USB-C. The European Union also is now getting Apple to finally comply with sideloading apps into the App Store. Who would have thought it was the EU that would make this all happen for us or for some of us? Now, the this new sideloading functionality is aimed to be as part of an update to iOS uh, 17.1 or later, not necessarily the launch of iOS 17, but so I would guess maybe they don't talk about it or feature it in the main keynote because obviously it might confuse people as well if when it's going to be ready. Mood tracking, 
iOS 17 will include new tools for tracking your emotion and managing even vision conditions. This is Apple's, again, another bigger push into health with the health app on the iPhone. And this would be able to, it's not exactly the same as the journal app, but the hope is that Apple will eventually use algorithms to be able to detect based on how your voice sounds, based on maybe some notes you took or wrote about how your day is going, and then be able to pull from it and predict patterns of how your mood changes depending on, you know, it could be tied to weather. It could be tied to physical reasons. It could be tied to a lot of things. Maybe you just didn't, you're just not eating breakfast and you're hangry all the time. I mean, no one, I think hangry is arguably one of the worst moody things because it comes out of nowhere and you're just being a plain, you know what, for no reason, only because you're hangry and it's real. Have I been hangry? Maybe. I'm not too, I'm not very much, I'm not a super hangry person. Yes, it has happened maybe a couple times, but there's some people that are a lot more, I know a lot more people that are a lot more hangrier than I am, and I'm not naming names, but I think you know who you are. Also, Apple and Google recently submitted a proposed industry specification to help combat the misuse of Bluetooth item trackers uh, for unwanted tracking of individuals. This is part of an initiative that Apple plans to expand this AirTags like tracking alerts to third-party items. You know, companies like Tile, Chipolo, um, Samsung has theirs, and UFI. So this is a push from Apple and Google to work on this um, in their own way, but create really a specification by the end of 2023 to support other third-party trackers and give them this unwanted tracking alert functionality, not just keep it locked down to AirTags. I think that's a nice thing to hear. So those are some of the features that iOS 17 is expected to get. Um, One of the one is iMessage contact key verification. Now this was talked about, I believe, towards the end of last year. And it was a feature maybe more catered towards people that were journalists or reporters or could potentially be, uh, you know, even government officials that could potentially be attacked by others, even human rights activists as well. And so it's a way to further verify that they are messaging only with people that they intend to. So iMessage contact key verification is going to allow users who face what Apple describes as extraordinary digital threats to be able to kind of get this extra additional layer of security and users can compare a contact verification code in person or on FaceTime or through another secure call to verify that they are communicating only with who they intend to communicate, right? Talk about how things have changed in this digital world and digital age of identity. It's it's kind of fascinating. It's also a little scary, but you know we have to adapt and figure out these other ways to navigate it. Now, a little iPhone 15 Pro story because everyone likes a good iPhone story. Apple supplier is seemingly confirming that the iPhone 15 Pro, this whole idea of solid state buttons is not happening. So at one of Apple's largest suppliers, Cirrus Logic, didn't outright say, but kind of pretty much confirmed that the iPhone 15 Pro models will not feature this whole idea of solid state buttons that were rumored to be kind of one of the big changes. I kept on saying, we're talking about buttons here? Yeah, we're talking about buttons. And so in a statement, they talked about um, a new product that they had mentioned with 
previous shareholder meetings as part of what they believe their estimated revenue would be. Um, these are high-performance mixed signal opportunities, which really translate and include haptic drivers for the Taptic engine in iPhones. And a new Taptic engine was expected to be implemented, I think even two of them, into the new iPhones to support this solid-state button layout. Well, that appears to not be happening, and they came out, Cirrus Logic, and said that, yeah, um, based on supply-related components for the devices and their partnership with an unnamed company, which is really Apple, this our earnings are going to be down. Cirrus Logic's largest customer and the company that has accounted for 79% of its revenue in 2022's fiscal year is Apple. So that's a big deal. Obviously, it's not just related to this solid state button, but this was kind of one of those new features that they were pushing for. And this is a signal that it's just not going to happen. And likely, the solid state buttons will be pushed now to the 16 Pro, a feature that we can all look forward to in the 16 Pro if it really matters. We talked about CarPlay a little bit earlier, and Ford is planning to stick with CarPlay. Now, I don't know if you heard the reports, but GM, General Motors, is expected to completely ditch and no longer support CarPlay and instead work out their own platform. I believe it was a partnership with uh, GM, and they want to co-develop a new system, like new infotainment system with Google as it's transitioning from its combustion vehicles and over to electric vehicles. So CarPlay is still going to be available in non-electric models, but GM ultimately has plans to switch to an all-electric lineup by 2035, and GM doesn't want to continue to bring support to new cars from now on and then moving forward. Now Ford is like, hey, look, we've seen the research. 70% of our customers in the U.S., want CarPlay. So we're not going to get rid of that. <laughs> the the CEO, Jim Farley, even said, why would I go to an Apple customer and say, good luck? Right? Like, right? Sometimes if that's if the people want it, don't be like, no, 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 we're going to create our own system. We want all you know the revenue generated from that. It's our own private system. And everyone's just like, just give me CarPlay. It's what I like. I was I was surprised. Honestly, I didn't realize... How many people, I think there was a, a study that said something along the lines of 80% of users expect or want CarPlay to be supported in their in their next car. And I was like, wow, that's really high. But the reality is that part of the issue is my car, my 2000 and it's a 2009 Nissan 370Z has no, there's no digital display on it. I mean, I love it. But I always use CarPlay when I'm on my mom's car when I go into town and visit her up in the Bay Area. And it's just real easy and it is elegant and it's nice. But my car, I just don't have, I don't have Android Auto. I don't have CarPlay. I know it's old school. I still like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I still physically connect a wire into my, directly into my uh, iPhone so I can get the best audio signal. I don't like the wireless audio. It still sounds the best and the cleanest with a physical cable, no matter what. I know, I know. Call, call me grandpa. But, you know, I've had my car now for, I think, 11, what is it? 
about, geez, 13 years now. So maybe my sights are set on a new car in the near future. That better have CarPlay. I don't know. We'll see. Um, also talking about with GM saying goodbye to CarPlay, Apple saying goodbye to a couple of classic products. Apple's now adding the Thunderbolt display and the original iPad Air to their obsolete products list. So that will that list kind of updates and will happen technically worldwide on May 31st. That was according to an internal memo that MacRumors got a hold of. And what does it mean when they say it's obsolete? It just means that products are no longer eligible for repairs or hardware service at Apple stores or any Apple authorized service providers. So basically you need a friend that could potentially fix it or it's just a dead product or you're just really good at sourcing parts to fix these products on your own somehow. And there's a few of you out there. I'm not discrediting you all, but it's just not that easy. My parents have that Thunderbolt display. In fact, it is still in their house. They don't use it anymore. They use like a Dell display now because... You know, it's been a long time, but that Thunderbolt display was introduced in 2011. It was a 27-inch screen, 1440p resolution, a 720p FaceTime camera, three USB 2.0 ports, and get this, a FireWire 800 port. When was the last time products had FireWire on them? Jeez, I can't remember when they phased out the last FireWire. Probably it had to be by the by the mid 2015s did they get rid of them i can't remember gigabit ethernet port thunderbolt port was also on the display but it was a thunderbolt display it was priced at 9.99 the ipad air original one obviously there's new generations of that that launched in 2013 it was actually discontinued in 2016 but now it's put it being put on the obsolete products list and the original ipad air that was That was Apple's obsession with being thin. That was a game changer at the time. The iPad already had driven so much buzz and popularity. I owned the very first iPad. I owned the very first iPad Pro. I never owned an iPad Air because I was happy with my uh, first iPad. But this original iPad Air, I don't know how many of you had it. I think a lot of you did because by that time, it was like, oh, we're making a thinner, more sleeker iPad. And the early adopters had kind of passed through 9.7 inch display, A7 chip processor. It was advertised as being 20% thinner, 28% lighter, and having a 43% narrower display bezels compared to the previous iPad. And it started at $499 for a Wi Fi model. It's fun seeing these things. Like, yeah, they're obsolete, but it just reminds you. It also reminds me, like, geez, how long? How long have I been in the Apple ecosystem? Dude, for as long, for as long as I can remember. I, I don't know if I've told you all this on the show, but I actually edited a demo reel (laughs) for real world when I was in college on a graphite G3 iBook that kind of looked like the purse, the clamshell, but it was a G3 and it had that kind of graphite color. And it was the most, most powerful iBook from that generation that they ever made. And that computer has a place in my heart because that's where I really, really started doing a like like a like a dem like a resume like a demo reel tape for real. Oh my gosh. I shouldn't even be saying time out of these things. That's just crazy. But yeah. Anyways, say goodbye, Thunderbolt display, say goodbye to the iPad Air. 
All right. Hey, let's give big thanks once again to Indeed for supporting the show. What's a game where no one wins? Well, guess what? It's the waiting game because when it comes to hiring, don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. And when you're hiring, guess what? You need Indeed. Indeed makes hiring in one place so easy, even right from their main page when you go visit it. You just type in the type of jobs that you're looking for. It's a search bar, and then the other bar shows the area that you live in, and a list instantly shows up for jobs in your area. Now, let's talk about Indeed's hiring platform that is second to none. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. It gets you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. Indeed does the hard work for you. Indeed shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. And Indeed's hiring platform matches you with quality candidates instantly. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest in 2019. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to some of the nerdy numbers, but there's some really great perspective here. I don't start the show with quarterly earnings and revenue and profits because do people really want to hear that out of the gates? I mean, some people do, but I would say most of y'all, that's not the first thing you want to talk about in the show. But Apple reported their second quarter of 2023 financial results. This would correspond to the first calendar quarter of the year. But for the quarter, Apple posted revenue of $94.8 billion dollars a net quarterly profit of $24.1 billion, and that is compared to revenue of 97.3 and net quarterly profit of $25 billion. So that's, it's a little lower per se. But here's the crazy thing. What are the two categories that you think that are leading the charge in helping Apple here? Well, Apple set an all-new, all-time record for services rent revenue at $20.9 billion and a new March quarter record for iPhone revenue at $51.3 billion. The product category that saw the most significant year-over-year decline in quarterly revenue, that would be the Mac sector falling from $10.4 billion in a year-ago quarter to this quarter to $7.2 billion. But here's the number that sticks out to me, Apple, still, everyone talks about, oh, the iPhone design is so tired. Oh, Apple's not innovating. Apple's not doing this. Apple's not doing that. Many of you own an iPhone. Some people just, for whatever reason, I've noticed they just like to get mad when Apple doesn't give them something new to buy. But think of this from a business perspective in the current economy that we're in, when you're thinking, hey, you, we really, most people don't need to upgrade their iPhone if they've had an iPhone even for two, three, four years. Like you don't always have to upgrade your iPhone for the general consumer. They still, in this current economy, set a new March quarter record for the iPhone. 
if there's any product that I honestly personally feel would show decline just because everyone already has an iPhone and they don't need it, it would arguably be the iPhone. But Tim Cook has strategically created all these different price points that make it pretty hard for someone to say no to an iPhone unless they're philosophically just an Android person, doesn't care about the Apple ecosystem, never has. But all it takes is to get one or two family members on an Apple device and that ecosystem has so much pull and the ability for it to work together more easily with family members when you're all on the same group. And I don't even care. I mean, fine, blue chat bubbles is part of it. I mean, that's more of a a legacy hook, not a hook that gets someone in today. But they still broke records. And remember, strategically, this was years ago, Tim Cook at the time said, I want to double our revenue for our services. And they've absolutely done that. They're now at $20.9 billion. I think at the time, Apple was somewhere around $7 billion in uh, services revenue. And now it's at $20.9 billion. And you look at, you know, generally across the industry, PC and computer sales are down and Apple wasn't immune to that, but they're doing all right. You know, their their revenue was just barely a tick lower. It, it didn't hurt them at all. So you got to give them props for being able to run a solid business, even in these crazy times. Now, Tim Cook in the earnings call gets like Q&As after, and it kind of gives you some insight of where his mind is at and how Apple might be operating in different ways. Uh, when asked about hiring and layoffs, Tim Cook said that he still views mass layoffs as a last resort and is not considering mass layoffs and ensured that that's something the company is not considering right now. Um, he said, I view the, that as a last resort, and so mass layoffs is not something that we're talking about at this moment. We've obviously seen how companies like Google and Facebook, or I guess, say Meta, um, Salesforce, people, companies in the tech sector have laid off tens of thousands of people in recent months because of the economic uncertainty, because they scaled up during COVID, things changed. And now these tech companies are like, wait, wait, we, we overhired, we expanded too fast. Or they're also just, because things are getting tighter as well, they're like, we need to cut budget. And you know, I'm my family's from the Bay Area, so there's a lot of ridiculously qualified, smart, talented people that don't have jobs just because of this. Now, Apple hasn't done any type of mass layoffs, but they've kind of done smaller things. I know that a lot of uh, they've stopped hiring for some roles. You got contracted recruiters that have been or contracted employees that have been let go. Um, even some of the corporate employees within the retail team, but nothing like you don't hear. They may they are not saying it's a freeze. It's just that they're not doing tens, thousands of layoffs. Of course, they're not actively like trying to cut, let's say, $5 billion in, in staff like Disney did, <laughs> right? They're not doing that. So again, from a business standpoint, Apple is doing very well. Now, of course, another question thrown uh, Tim Cook's way, what are Apple's thoughts on AI? chatbots, chat GPT, how is Apple implementing them? How do they feel about them? And when asked this question, Cook said that artificial intelligence potential is very interesting, but noted there are a number of issues that need to be sorted out with the technology 
And he also is saying, and he's taking, I think, the right approach. They may not, Apple's by no means on the cutting edge of using AI tools right now or trying to kind of go being part of the forefront of that experimental area that can be tricky, can be kind of scary, can be really cool. Like we've still, we're still trying to figure out as consumers and as corporations the best way to use AI, but it's powerful. It can make things a lot easier to do as well. But there's, you know, there's some gray areas and things that I don't even necessarily feel comfortable with. But it is like at the same time, it's exciting from a tech standpoint. And obviously, a lot of companies behind it that are pushing hard, like Microsoft is pushing hard on it. I mean, to them, it's it's a revenue generator as well. But I don't know if you read this recent article or heard about how the man who's kind of titled as the godfather of AI. His name's Jeffrey Hinton. Um, he's a renowned researcher for AI. He quit recently quit his high-profile job at Google specifically so he could speak out freely about the risks that he believes may accompany the artificial intelligence technologies that are out there and also that he specifically helped usher in, including user-friendly apps like our own chat GPT. So, you know, he gave his first public remarks about his concerns at MIT's Technology Reviews AI Conference. And when he was asked by the panel's moderator, what was the worst case scenario that you think is conceivable? Well, Jeffrey Hinton didn't even have to hesitate. And he jumped and he said, I think it's quite conceivable that humanity is just a passing phase in the evolution of intelligence. And he went on to give a more detailed explanation of why that is the case. But he said that he and other AI creators, as they were so excited and they kept on pushing and kept on jumping forward and forward without maybe slowing down, he said that they have essentially created an immortal form of digital intelligence that, sure, might be shut off on one machine to bring it under control, but could easily be brought back to life on another machine if given the proper instructions. He, he literally called it an immortal form of digital intelligence. And everyone's every you know how many times did we see how, how if you haven't seen terminator and terminator 2 and skynet i know people would use it in the past as an extreme example of why ai is bad and computers are taking over the world potentially and doing more than we ever imagined them doing well the actual guy the godfather of ai who helped usher in and create the technology and improve it and refine it he himself is worried about it. He left his job so that he could speak out and make people aware of it. I'm not trying to like cause any fear, but you know, we we definitely there are implications of how this can be dangerous. I'm not saying we're going to be taken over by robots anytime soon, but there's definitely ethics that come around with this and even the whole situation where a AI generated song using Drake and The Weeknd that was never even produced, written, or performed by them ended up getting major traction and usability on TikTok because it was catchy, but it was a piece of artificial work that got into the world and everyone just jumped on it because they thought it was an original piece. And I guess it is an original, but it was made by AI. And I, I don't know when this will happen, but I've got to imagine there's going to be some inflection point or moments where things are taken too far. And I think that Drake and Weekend Song is one of those small, safer examples. And maybe we will value 
actual art or work or creative works that are normally made by humans, let's say like a video, I'm not going to be using AI to make my videos anytime soon. I just, I'm going to tell you right now, I never will. I'm going to handcraft them. I think it's just part of the art and the enjoyment of it. But there's going to be some sort of inflection point where I've got to imagine that we will take a step back and then start being able to value what is actually made from living human beings versus what is being made by computer. We're not there yet, but it is kind of crazy how good this stuff is. Have you seen there was like a Bud Light ad, like a TV commercial, a beer ad that was made purely by AI? Like there, there's some wild things out there that it's fascinating, but it's also kind of freaky at the same time. I don't know. I'm just going on about it, but it's it's been on my mind. Anyways, Apple says it's interesting. Going back to the main topic, Tim Cook and Apple said, hey, it's interesting, but there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out with AI before we just jump right into the deep end with it. Also, Tim Cook was touting and really happy about the response to the Apple Card savings account that I talked about. Um, It just, the switch was basically flipped on towards the end of last month. And, you know, now Apple has the savings account. They have their new Apple Pay Later that helps you finance uh, over, I think, four to six payments when you buy an Apple product and encourages, you know, its users or its customers to at least strive for and have a healthier financial situation by not just gouging them and you know, it's up to you to be responsible with how you spend your money or how much you put on credit, but at least coming up with smarter ways to help people manage that. Apple's new Apple's new card savings account, it was reported that around 240,000 accounts were opened in the first week. I mean, I did it. It currently offers a 4.15 average percentage yield. So why not? Instead of that money that's sitting there from your Apple Cash, throw it in the savings account and you can get access to it. Pretty nice, right? Yeah, I would say so. Also, I'm not here to promote anything per se, but from the Apple Card, but I know a lot of you all like your Nike stuff. So Apple is partnering specifically with Nike this month to give Apple Card users 6% daily cash back on purchases. That's up from the typical 3% cashback offer. It's good through the end of May. Higher percentage on up to $500 in goods from Nike products. I mean, it's kind of crazy how Apple has evolved. Now we're talking about them doing really, truly financial services and their own card. Another revenue stream that is going to help them weather some of these product storms that may or may not be coming. Apple is just so diversified as a company from tech products to subscription services, to media from Apple TV Plus, to obviously music that you got. You got their app store. You got their financial services now with Apple Card. And I mean, okay, fine. ARVR. Eventually, will we see an Apple Car? I don't know. I don't think so. But they they really can do anything, and they have the user base that is willing to embrace what they put out. It fits into the ecosystem, and they use it. Apple's not necessarily taking over the world because if you go to Korea, you'll see how Samsung is completely entrenched into actual the culture of the country, Samsung and LG. But Apple in the U.S. is a pretty, pretty beastly company. 
Uh, they don't own pharmacies or hospitals or grocery stores. They're not at that level yet. I mean, that that would that could that would be kind of crazy. Other companies do that, but not Apple. Not yet. All right. Hey, I told you we would get to our phone calls again. All you got to do is record a voice memo, send it into applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. So, hey, let's get to the first call. Hey, Brian. Uh, my name is Alex. I just want to say I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, I actually have a few questions for you if you, uh, you don't mind answering them. Uh, my first question is, and uh, what are your thoughts to the Apple Wallet? Because in the last uh, WWDCs, I think it was in 2021 and uh, 2022, where they announced that um, pretty soon we'll be able to add our driver's licenses to the Apple Wallet. And uh, recently, I don't know if you noticed, we have uh, three states that you can add into the Wallet app, which is, I think, Arizona, uh, Maryland, and uh, Colorado. And uh, me being a native of uh, California, I just want to get your thoughts on if uh, there's a possibility that we'll probably see uh, digital IDs coming to uh, California and the Apple Wallet. Because uh, I think I remember seeing an article on uh, Mac Rumors, 95 Mac, saying that it's a possibility that it'll come soon, um, maybe sometime in the spring. So. I don't know. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, also, um, what are your thoughts on the on the Apple Wallet uh, in general? Is it um, slowly replacing our physical wallets, or uh, is there a little bit uh, more time we're needing uh, catching up to do? Thanks for answering my questions, man. Take care. All right, Alex. Hey, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate you calling in. So let's get people caught up to speed and kind of what you're mentioning from a standpoint of California, and there's a lot of other states that are lining up for their digital IDs. Now, the last we heard was sometime, I think it was in January or so, and we know that Apple has been working with uh, you know, the California DMV as well to start testing mobile driver's licenses and ID cards, and it was a limited test back in 2021. Now, the state has not yet confirmed whether their solution will integrate with the wallet app itself yet. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom had kind of teased that in the matter of months, like this is going to be a special digital ID, the likes that, you know, the, that no other state is going to do before. And you think about, okay, well, how much more can you do than just an integrated ID into the wallet app and it makes some people think that maybe Apple, uh, it's not Apple, that California would just bypass the wallet app and offer driver's licenses kind of through their own state-operated app. And this is similar to what states Florida and Louisiana do. But at the same time, California has supported other integrations with iPhone and Apple. We know that they're based in California. So you got to imagine that they're going to work together on this. But the fact that Gavin Newsom said, we're going to do it like no other state, it's it's a digital ID on the Apple Wallet app right now. So we'll see how that goes. I think it even the whole digital ID thing is going to take time. There's certain airports that um, still are, you know, are not set up to even accept a digital ID. So when you talk about, hey, how are we doing with the Apple Wallet as 
just a wallet and is it can it really replace our own wallets i think if we're talking money and from a financial standpoint for how the wallet behaves there's so many more now retail locations point of sale devices that accept contactless payments and apple pay now is kind of one of those things that you always see now let's rewind maybe even two years ago three years ago where it wasn't as prevalent but now it feels like pretty much every establishment has apple pay where before i remember i had not brought my wallet with me and i had my phone with me and i had to remember where can i eat lunch and it was like at the time i think subway was one of the few places that supported apple pay but that's not the case anymore for the most part almost every spot you go to so from spending money to buy goods at least i think we're pretty much i would arguably say from a business standpoint like 80 to 90% there with contactless payments and we're even including using a physical card to tap it right you got tap to pay but apple pay specifically i think from buying goods we're in a good spot now from a digital id obviously only 3 states are ready to roll right now we know other states like um you you mentioned Arizona Maryland and Colorado those have already started you know they offer digital driver's licenses and IDs that are supported in the wallet app but we have upcoming Connecticut Georgia Hawaii Iowa Kentucky Mississippi Ohio Oklahoma and Utah they have committed to allowing residents to add a state ID or driver's license through the wallet app timing on that is not clear yet and I remember when they first announced this whole digital ID, I'm like, why isn't California one of the first, like in that first crop? Because you sometimes just assume that they're on the cutting edge and they're ahead of the game. But Gavin Newsom clearly has an idea of something else. And I don't know if it's going to be a separate app. I hope not, but it might be. So the bottom line answer is we still know it's now pretty much spring. We're in May. And at the time in January, he said in a few months, so we'll wait and see. Maybe some new news will come up. But thanks again for the call, Alex. I just really appreciate you calling in and being a great listener and participating and having fun with this. It's so great to hear from y'all. All right, let's go to Russell. Brian Tong, what's up, my guy? Hey, man, I've been watching you forever, man. Love your show. Hey, uh, my name is Russell from South Carolina. Uh, I just want to give you a shout out real quick. And... Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Apple AR VR. Now, I can make this a really long message, but I know I'm going to keep it short. So what's your thoughts on um, this thing? Because I don't think they should even make it. I mean, I think VR, we're at its height right now. Uh, AR could possibly be something amazing in the future if you could get it really small. But even then, I personally don't think there's a lot of people that want to wear something on their head. Even if you could get it into a glasses size. It's just not enough people. It's not going to be big as the iPhone or the Apple Watch. There's no way, man. No way. I don't see it. Anyway, what are your thoughts on it, man? Thanks. Russell, there's no way, man. There's no way. <laughs> I love it because I think that in um, maybe in 20 years that will change, 30 years in the future when there's flying cars and we're all using three seashells. If you don't know that reference, go watch Demolition Man for all y'all. Um, but Russell, here here's my take on it. I think that no matter what, Apple actually has to participate and be in the conversation. And I don't think it's going to be a success out of the gates. I think that Apple, the best way it can be a success 
is for Apple to really generate buzz and people say, oh, that's how Apple sees the future or how we might use it, but I'm not going to pay the rumored $3,000 price point for their first generation glasses, but people are like, okay, that's cool. I think everyone wants to see what Apple's thinking and what they're doing and how different it can be. But for me, I said this a long time ago, much like the Apple Watch took, geez, I think two or three years to really figure itself out in the direction. Think about AR, VR. That's not going to take two or three years to figure out the direction of how people are going to use it. I think it's going to take, I might be speaking too soon, five to seven years before we they really nail down how people want to use it. Look how long VR has been out for, for gaming and experiences, and the needle hasn't really moved that much. I think the biggest thing for me is if it has high-fidelity screens that we've never seen before, and if they can bring genuine, interactive, unique experiences that we've never seen because of the quality of the cameras they're using and the quality of the uh, you know screens that we're able to view in that truly feel pretty dang stupid immersive and look great and that takes money and resources which apple has to partner with content companies to give us new experiences i think that can be one of the ways that makes it at least interesting um but though you know have you ever played a game and you played it for 15 minutes uh or a 20 minute experience you're like that was awesome and you never come back and play it again that's happened a lot in vr so to me the big play here and you you talked about ar is that Apple's in this for the long run. This is not something that they have the resources to wait this out and wait for the technology to be there and wait to kind of find that aha moment. And people can say it's a failure all they want or it's a dud or it stinks. And it actually might. But I think in 10 years, this space is going to be a whole lot different. And Apple can't just jump into it, you know, in seven years and basically lose seven years of experience in R&D where they can afford, they're one of the few companies that they can afford to do this. Meta is banking basically their entire future on this metaverse, on VR and AR. That is the product they have. The ad revenue that they used to be generating has been cut down by, I think, somewhere around a billion dollars. Was it two? It was a huge number because of how Apple and others kind of changed the access, their privacy uh, settings and access that they give data to companies like Facebook. And, you know, we can flip that switch off. Apple doesn't rely on one business vertical. So I think that they have the staying power to basically ride this out until they're one of the few companies that can give us a compelling product in maybe it is 10 years. So this is going to be a long play for them. I don't think they're going to give up on it right away. And I think it's going to be the minimal glasses that one day we might see. But this is going to be one of those product categories that we're going to have to be patient about. And I'm just going to kind of wait to see what signs they show us that this could be interesting for me, someone who does not wear glasses in the future. So I think that was a long answer, but there's so many thoughts. And just to let people know, uh, there is this a survey that I put out that next week I'll be breaking it down. I think we got almost 200 respondents about specifically the Apple AR VR headset. And um, there's some really interesting insights from it that definitely educate me and have informed me of how the current landscape is and how you as users, whether you own one or not, perceive what 
could make this a success or not. So in next week's show, uh, we're going to deep dive with that. I'm going to try and get my man on Gil Cabrera, G-Money, to talk about um, that survey. And it'll be fun because I think there's a lot to talk about. All right, let's go to our friend Salty Jordan. Hey, what's up, Brian? Salty Jordan. It's been a minute calling in. And I was listening to your Apple headset podcast, and I had a few thoughts. One, I feel like as a glasses wearer who prefers to use contacts, there's a real uphill battle on getting people to actually wear a headset long term. But I guess that brings me to my next point of there's no way this is for the mass public. Like, aren't there a ton of products and software that Apple makes for themselves first and foremost? Everything that they talk about just feels like something that they've been using while working from home to teleconference or something and work in a virtual environment. It seems like a really cool pro-level device for prototyping and doing virtual walkthroughs, but I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> Remember the HoloLens? Like, did you ever demo one of those? I did. <laughs> and the view was tiny. It was just so tiny. And I get that that was like 10 years ago. The new, um, it'll probably be more like the Oculus pass-through, which is good, but I don't know. It's just not something you want to wear that long. Which I also am a... I guess XVR user in that I owned an Oculus Rift and dude, that thing just collects dust. It's like I get motion sick. There's like not enough software to keep me interested or like anyone interested for that matter. But I mean, Apple has a track record of bringing their game and probably by like revision five of this thing, we'll all be like, how did we live without it? I was thinking for something like cooking, having the ingredients pop up and like show you where to cook or some, or like cut. I I don't know. I'm just like making up uses, but I feel like there's, there is something cool there or turn by turn directions when driving in the car and it overlays it on the road, which I mean, Apple maps still gets lane markers wrong. So, (laughs) but obviously the technology is really, really cool. I just don't think uh, I don't think it's anything the general audience is going to be caring about anytime soon. Yeah. So thanks for all that, Mister Salty Jordan, and kind of touching base on some of the things that you know Russell's like kind of curious about. It's just up to Apple to show us what it's going to be, what experiences are going to be, and what is compelling enough for us to, you know, enjoy using it. I'm still curious about the fact that it's supposed to be super lightweight because um, if you put on a pair of Oculus Quest. It can get pretty heavy, and Apple says, hey, according to reports, that they're going to tether a battery that you put on your pocket or in your pocket, and I'm like, huh? I'm like, mm. But if it feels really comfortable, fine. Maybe I'll be like, okay, this is comfortable, but will I still use it that much? Because I get motion sickness too. Um, the PSVR 2 is probably my favorite headset right now because the games are actually like have staying power, but I get sick in all the ones that move. Like, I just do. <laughs> so... That's kind of an issue for me, and I'm not, I'm not the only one. So, again, really intriguing space. Curious to see what happens, and guess what? The reality is that we're basically a month away from finding out what Apple's going to reveal and show us, and I can't wait to hopefully be there and see what happens. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the most, probably the most buzzworthy announcement that they do this year, quite honestly. Not, not the most profitable, but I think it's going to get the most attention 
you know, we know the iPhone is popular and we know that that thing still sells bonkers, but what's the most intriguing keynote this year in the tech world? It arguably has to be Apple's AR VR headset, which will potentially be shown at WWDC in a month. So buckle up, y'all. All right, we got Chris. He wants to talk Apple Watch. Hey, Brian, Chris here. I really appreciate all the work that you put into your videos, especially the latest kind of long-term review for the Apple Watch Ultra. And I don't have that watch, but I could totally say use case if I were to be a lot more active than I currently am, that could be a fun watch for me to get as far as the versatility of it. But I'm sticking with my SE2 for now and just have a couple of thoughts for you. Um, one is non-tech related is about surfing is how did you get started and how can I get started? What do you think the best tips are? Cause it's always something I've wanted to do, but I just haven't pulled a trigger on it yet. And another is what are some ways you think Apple can weave some NBA content into their Apple TV service? Cause I agree with you in your latest episode that if they did that, I already subscribed to it, but I'd pay a little extra just to get that feature, even if it's just during NBA playoffs or something like that. So let me know. Bye. All right, Chris. Hey, thanks for calling in. Thanks for the kind words as well. So let's talk about your first question, which I like, surfing. All right, so A, it's never too late to surf. I think the biggest mistake that people make when they want to try to surf is they just go and rent a board and they try and watch other people do it for the very first time And it's actually really hard to figure out without any instructions. So the number one thing you should do, and I think it's like like 40 or 60 bucks for an hour. If you're in a location that has surfing lessons or you go visit Hawaii and go somewhere like basic, like I hang out in Waikiki all the time because like that's where the hotel I stay at is. And also it's just easily accessible even though, yeah, I'll come across people that almost run me over because they don't know what they're doing. And that's what you do. What happens when you go to Waikiki to surf? But... They have surf lessons there and you'll end up learning at least, I think most people need, you have to feel what it feels like. Your body position on the board matters, where your weight is and how to paddle. It's not just like paddle really hard and catch a wave. There's a lot of subtle things, even just feeling how it is to balance on a board properly and put yourself in the right alignment as a beginner to catch a wave. You just like, or when to stand up. Like you have to feel the motion of the the momentum of the water. So many people like stand up right away when they aren't even in the wave. I mean that you see that all the time. So get a lesson, learn from it. It's a feeling. It's so hard. Like whenever I would watch movies with surfer dudes when I was a kid, I was like, why do they talk like that, dude? Why are they so like into the ocean? When you start surfing, you're like, dude, I get it. It's like you're riding nature. There's no feeling like it in the world. Like I really have never, is there anything that has made me, no, it's incredible. It's the greatest feeling ever. I'm like, all like my whole body just fires off. It's like, damn, it feels so good. You know, you catch that first wave and you're just like, oh my gosh. When you catch your first wave by yourself, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, let's, uh, so anyways, just go take surfer lessons. For anyone that wants to get, that's interested just take lessons. Don't buy a board out of the gate. Just take lessons first and see if it's your thing, if it's your thing. And then uh, let me know how that works out for you, Chris. Okay, number two, you talked about NBA content on Apple TV+. Plus. Of course, I love it. Of course, I love the multi-screen view, but the biggest thing is the licensing. Um, 
Apple, I'm sorry, the NBA has already locked in multiple contracts with the big TV networks who are throwing the biggest money at them, billions of dollars. Apple isn't throwing billions of dollars to any sport to get their rights anytime soon. Um, So I don't think that's something that Apple would pursue in the near future, but I think doing the MLS, doing Thursday Night Baseball, this is their testing ground to see, okay, how do fans resonate with sports on Apple TV? Instead of throwing down a big chunk of money, you've got to see like what the data tells you about your audience. Are they watching the games? How long are they watching? Are they engaged by it? Because Thursday Night Baseball on Apple TV is its own presentation, unlike what you've seen. I, I do, obviously, the quality of the announcers aren't just aren't as good as the main network people that you've seen for years that have been doing this all their lives and just have the gravitas and a huge knowledge base. But the minimal presentation is really nice. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Okay, last call, Mark Davenport. It's all you. Hey, Brian, this is Mark from Portland. So when you and Ray Wong were talking about the battery life you experienced in 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pro units from last year, you were talking about getting 8 to 10 hours and loving it, and Ray Wong was talking about getting five to seven hours and being unimpressed. Now, that difference is the difference, Apple quotes, between the 14 and 16-inch models. So really, you just discovered together that the 16-inch is the one with the really impressive battery life. But you're paying for that in weight, more than just the price tag. You're paying for it because you have to carry around more physical battery. You are correct, Mark. Absolutely correct. So, yes, the 16-inch is a clunker. That's why it is my powerhouse. It is my workhorse. I never bought a Mac Studio, although I do kind of want one, but I'm just going to wait things out. Um, And the MacBook 15-inch Air, arguably, I mean, it it would need more storage for the type of work that I do because I'm little, I have my my hard drive space. I think, do I have the 8-terabyte drive and it's basically constantly filled and I'm always moving files around, but whatever. That's just me dealing with 4K video all the time. But the 15-inch MacBook Air, the weight, the screen size, and the power would be a really, really, really sweet spot. Um, so, you know, you you take the good and the bad, but honestly, I don't care how heavy it is. The 16-inch MacBook Pro is one of the best computers that I have ever, ever had. Um, performance, quiet performance, battery life, video. It's incredible. It's incredible. So as a content creator, it is incredible. But yeah, I know it's overkill for a lot of people. But for me, that thing is like my baby. I don't even, I've never named my lab, my computers. I almost feel like I should name it because that thing is everything for me. All right, everybody, thank you so much for calling in. I hope that you continue to call in. And again, as new things happen, new products come out, I know there's going to be a lot more to talk about. But remember, send your calls, record that voice memo, applebitsshow at gmail.com. And before we go, we got to give a big thanks to our Platinum Apples at the $100 level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jarrett Lewis, Michael Gigliotti, Atari Koenigsegg, Glenn Canellis. Thank you for all of your incredible support. Thank you to all of you who continue to support this show and my content. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you do it. And hey, 
We'll be back, same bat time, same bat channel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>